Good morning. Good morning. Ah, it's nice to look around, see who's here. Ah, happy to be here with you today. I put a little <coughs> quotation on the bulletin from, uh, it says, Wondrously embraced within the complete, drumming and singing begin together. Wondrously embraced within the complete, drumming and singing begin together. And uh, this is a quotation from the <coughs> Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi by Dongshan. And uh, this talk, I, I got a really inventive name for this talk, it was called Chant. <laughs> so, <laughs> now I'm needing to be excessively imperative, you know. You know. <laughs> but why not, why not chant? Noun, verb, singing. So, you know, the first uh, Buddhist I ever remember meeting, now the first person I know who practiced Zen was Harold Kazimov, who was a professor of religion uh, at Grinnell College, a close friend of my family, a Holocaust survivor, a Jew, and uh, and a Zen practitioner, he's just a wonderful person. And uh, I just remember my mom saying, so Harold has been going to Japan and he goes to this place where they hit him with a stick. <laughs> uh, I, thought, uh, I wasn't all that attracted at that time to the idea of Zen, by that introduction. But uh, he clearly found it deeply meaningful and I've had a chance to connect with him since I've become a practitioner. And I wasn't even gonna talk about that Sorry, I just remembered that that was actually my first person I knew who practiced Zen. But the first person I knew who really identified as a Buddhist who I met was a Japanese Nichiren monk who I met while I was uh, walking from central Iowa to Chicago with the Great Peace March for Global Nuclear Disarmament when I was 16 years old. So, yeah, this was a nice respite that summer from working in the cornfields. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> this coast-to-coast uh, -coast peace march came through, and I, uh, I picked it up when they arrived and walked for about 300 miles with a group of about 500 people just to be with people uh, as we went and share with them a vision of a nuclear disarmed world which, as you know, has come to fruition. <laughs> I have zero regret about putting that effort into uh, embodying that vision with other people. <clears throat> so, anyway, on this march was this Japanese uh, man who wore, uh, as I recall, orange robes, and um, he would walk, he liked to walk alone. You could walk together or alone or with groups of people. He tended to walk alone during the day and the whole time he would just be, or as he reported to me, chanting, Nam Myo Renge Kyo, Nam Myo Renge Kyo, which is the basic mantra of the Nichiren tradition, which is essentially a, a homage to the Lotus Sutra itself. And uh, boy, did that guy seem happy? Uh, I, I was like, I like to be around you. He just seemed uh, very joyful and calm and centered. 
and really inspiring. Um, but as a teenager, I had interests other than a monastic life, uh, which <laughs> I won't get into. So I enjoyed his uh, practice from afar, although I think probably sometimes I thought, well, let's try this, this chant, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. So um, chanting was the root of his practice. And in Pure Land traditions, uh, Pure Land is closely associated with the idea of Nyanfo, which means like uh, keeping the Buddha in mind. And originally this was visualizing the Buddha, and there are many visualizing Buddha practices, but it's become more associated more recently, like in the last 1500 years, you know, the recent times, with chanting the Buddha's name, uh, Namo Amida Butsu, Nambutsu, uh, Namo Aidafat, just chanting over and over homage to the Buddha. Uh, and people understand the power of these kind of recitations in many different ways. They're actually quite complex philosophies associated with them. <coughs> Dogen Zenji was not into it. Uh, Dogen Zenji, who founded Soto Zen, Dogen Zenji uh, uses pretty harsh terms to talk about people who chant all the time, particularly Nembutsu and Yamfo. Uh, I found this one. People who chant all the time are just like frogs croaking all day, day and night in the spring fields. Their effort will be of no use whatsoever. So, I don't know. He had a strong opinion, and you know, he, I, he must have thought this was beneficial to really challenge this other way of practicing, and there, there are good reasons that he explains, but, huh. Turns out there is a diversity of views. Turns out there are a diversity of views. <coughs> so, uh, I will say though that although he says people who chant all the time are just like frogs croaking all night in the spring fields, I love frogs croaking all night in the spring fields. And there, I don't know, that would be like a big aspiration for me to be one of them. So. I can dream. I don't know what you have to do to be reborn as one. Maybe we'll chant a lot and we'll find out. Uh, but he says all the time. And so I think his main critique here is people who are not engaging in any kind of inquiry into the nature of their experience. They're not inquiring into the, the things that Dharma challenges you to challenge. And he seems to think that people who are doing this are so focused on the Buddha as some kind of external object that they're going to fail to see that Buddha is the way things are in this field of experience. What you're hearing, seeing, smelling, thinking, all of it is inseparable from Buddha. And he seems to think that this chanting practice actually makes people alienated from that and that our practice should be immediately and always returning to how things actually are without knowing what they are. And that's Zazen. <clears throat> so the first time I did any chanting practice at MZMC was by not doing chanting practice because I came to Zazen about 20 years ago on a Thursday morning and it was really early, and at 7 o'clock I was like, man, this has been amazing, you know, to just have this quiet, I've never had an experience like this, wow. And then 
you know, an hour and 15 minutes of dead silence, and then, how great the room of liberation. I was like, ah! You know, I just, my body just stood up, and I left the building. And as I was leaving, I heard this, I was like, oh my God, what is happening in there? I'm probably sacrificing animals. So, uh, but, you know, the meditation was so compelling, I returned. And uh, I have subsequently found that um, chanting is a really powerful practice for me and for other people. And although Dogen critiques this uh, all-the-time chanting methodology, it's clear that in the context of all the temples that he practiced, people chanted regularly. It's been a normal, it's just like talking. It's a part of uh, Buddhist culture. Uh, almost everywhere I've been. So, um, chanting uh, shares with zazen that fundamentally posture and breath. Posture and breath. So, uh, I think it would be nice to just do something with breath here for a minute. Now, when practicing zazen, we don't use breath control. So it's just we know that there's breathing and the sensations are like this, is the idea. Uh, sometimes people are like, well, I'm breathing like this and like that. I'm like, oh, good. Good job. <laughs> but, it, you know, we don't need to mess with it. But uh, it can help to really um, develop some uh, ways of breathing and that can inform or start to just naturally occur. So I'm just going to invite you to, uh, on your own, just take uh, three actively deep breaths in and out. I'm going to invite you to take one of your hands and place it on the belly uh, below the navel. So the thumb might be up just below the navel and the rest of the palm be, um, yeah, just below there. And you know, sometimes when bringing really focused attention to the body it can help to close the eyes, so you're welcome to do that if that helps. And now I'm going to invite you to take uh, three actively deep breaths, but really try and uh, notice, but actually actively press the hand out as you inhale. And then draw it back in as you exhale. So it's quite common uh, for, once we start to actively um, do things with the breathing, especially with diaphragm breathing, 
It can be um, emotionally activating for people uh, for reasons that we don't need to unpack, but if you're like, whoa, uh, I feel frustrated, I can't do this, I can't even feel that part of my body, or uh, oh, suddenly I feel really calm, or oh, I, this is making me feel tense and anxious. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we attend to the body so much with our practice is because it enables us to get closer to how we feel. And there's subtle relationships. So whatever's coming up for you, that's, that's okay. And if you feel like, oh, I can't even feel my body moving, that's, that's fine too. Uh, just as when we learn music, you have to learn more subtle and subtle ways of hearing. This is an opportunity to just have a practice of being more subtly aware of your body and your breath. So now I'm going to invite you to take your hands so it's like your thumbs are pointed to the back of your body and your fingers are pointed forward. And then just come around the sides of the body. So probably your middle finger is pointed towards an area just below the navel. Uh, kind of where your hand was centered before. And now the thumbs are on the back of the body. So it's like kind of like along the side. And then it can really help to just uh, let the body be tall and long here. And now, as we inhale, trying to expand the body through the whole hand. So through the, the that lower back, the side of the body, and the front. You might notice there's kind of part that seems to move more. That's fine. But just taking some deep breaths, actively expanding into the hand. Let's do three. Three breaths and then actively contracting. just going to flip the hand over so the thumb is pointed towards the front and the fingers are pointed towards the back. So it's kind of the same gesture but thumb is on the front side of the body, fingers towards the back. And again, just breathing, expanding into the hand and then the hand comes back with the body as the body contracts, actively deepening here. Okay, so now we could just let the hands be at rest. <clears throat> and now, I'm just doing a couple more things that'll move us towards uh, chanting. Uh, one, I'm gonna count uh, four counts for inhalation and four for exhalation, and see if you can replicate the feeling you had there or use it to help you draw air down low and then Push it back out from the bottom. So we're going to inhale one, two, three, four. Exhale one, two, three, four. And now we're going to do two and see if you can really 
push that air down for two breaths and then we're going to come out for four. So we're going to go one, two, one, two, three, four. All right, well that's probably enough of that. So when we're chanting, we're going to be chanting along and suddenly it's like, well, I have to breathe. That's how it works. Um, so we want to take a breath that's deep, full, down in the diaphragm, and quick. Usually one syllable. So if I'm going Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva deeply practiced Prajnaparamita clearly saw that all five aggregates are in and thus relieved also that one syllable you just completely stop chanting and everything goes and then there's all this energy that can keep moving forward so one syllable now you may be like I need two syllables I can't breathe that's okay so this is you know however your body and your breath is it's cool but that's the idea and really that breath is conscious down here Okay, so that's the breathing <coughs> when chanting um, pitch. Uh, the tradition is in Soto Zen chanting is to have uh, male voices in one octave and female voices in the other octave. Now, of course, there's uh, a lot of different kinds of genders and people's relationship to genders, so you can pick whichever pitch works for your body and who you are. But, you know, if you're like, what's an octave? If I'm going, Avalokiteshvara. So when I sing this pitch, it sounds high. But when women sing this pitch, it sounds about medium. So the good rule of thumb is if you're chanting, most men will feel like they're chanting very low, and most women will think they're chanting about medium. And by the way, if you're leading a chant, and you're a man, and you sing medium, everyone else is going to be confused. And also... When women sing really low, usually the men are like, <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, and you know you can chant together, which is what we're about to do. You can chant alone. Uh, could you? I'm good. We're going to shift to something else with the, oh, actually, you won't even notice. But yeah, if you could pull up the, the screen share, you can just pull the laptop down if you want to. That's convenient. But that'll work. And if you could distribute those chant books, Steve, that would be great. I want to chant through, well, actually, get the chant books out. I'll talk while we're doing that. Thank you. page number in a minute so you don't need to worry about opening these up yet so but what I do want to chant here is the Emme Juku Kanan Gyo this text is 
uh, essentially a celebration, a supplication, a devotion to Kanzeon Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. The text of it is almost not make sense in any language. It's like a very stylized language, the details, of it, which is quite common for Buddhist chants. And uh, so what you don't need to do is like figure out what it's saying. What we want to know is what it's about is compassion, believing that compassion matters, believing that compassion is available, that by available we mean you can do it, and it's there for you, and those are not separate things. And that this is a pervasive quality of the universe that manifests in the form of people taking care of each other. So that's what this chant is about. Um, it's often chant thought of as being something that's like protective or you might chant it for someone you know is ill or dying. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways to grieve. So... Uh, People, what's that? Did you say which channel? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a because I, I it, since it's not sensical, it doesn't. It's not something you need to be reading. And actually, yeah. So anyway, so anyway uh, how many ways to grieve? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, it's like one of my favorite ways to grieve when my father was dying was. People showed up at the door and they said hi and they handed me a casserole and then they left. And that was really good because I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to talk to them. Uh, and but I, it was really touching, you know. Grief is confusing. It can be overwhelming. Uh, the word that came to mind, I have like there's like 40 words to describe this whole Dharma talk. And for grief, I wrote wordless haze. I just remember I walk into spaces and just be like, I don't even know what world this is. And you know, sometimes it feels like that. You might feel that way for your own condition or losing someone or being overwhelmed by uh, the news, so many wars. And one way that we can meet grief is by chanting the Enmei-Jukukanan-gyo and realizing that millions and millions of people use their voices together to invoke the utter availability of compassion. So I'm going to invite you to turn to page 5.13 in your chant books. We usually chant this several times in a row, which is what is going to happen here. The pace usually increases as we go. So just, I'll have a drum, because drumming and singing begin together as we're wondrously embraced within the complete. 5.13. Hey, does anyone who's like, uh, hangs out here a lot want to model the mode of hold, holding a chant book in the Soto Zen style? Yeah, check it out. Chant books are often not placed on the floor, but held in a particular way, which you can see people modeling with their three fingers out. All right. 
So, let us chant together, my friends. You can just drop out on a syllable. And in this style of chanting, uh, what we're really looking for is an absolutely uninterrupted sound. So there are no breaks in the sound. Kanze yo namu butsu yo butsu in yo butsu en bu poso en jo rakuga jo chonen. So the syllables just flow. Okay, I will chant the title and then you can join in. En me juku kanangyo. Thank you. 
May all the benefit of this recitation be offering to the liberation of all beings throughout space and time. that I could not hear all the people who are online. Uh, so I hope you are enjoying your voice and the voices of all. <clears throat> Oftentimes in talking about chanting, we'll focus on producing sound and listening. And ultimately, chanting is uh, listening. Uh, but here I wanted to focus on breath. And um, just for today. And... <clears throat> You know, I really don't encourage you to come here to sit zazen and just chant the Buddha's name all the time, because that's not our root practice. But if you do, no one will know. <laughs> uh, nor do I encourage you to come here and do like uh, half an hour of controlled breathing. Uh, but actually, at the beginning of the Pukan Sazenki, the Dogen gives you one breath. He lines up the whole posture. He says, take a breath. Exhale fully, and then zazen. So, you know, you could probably extend that to three or four, or even, you know, ten. Uh, you know, because it can help us to settle. So there's very clear thousands of years of meditative tradition and extensive science demonstrating that um, deep diaphragm breathing can really um, be conducive to uh, calm. And I think presence. For our practice is not so much to be calm as to be utterly available. <clears throat> but <clears throat> it's kind of hard to be utterly available when we're not calm because we get pretty caught by our stuff. Our stuff. Habits of mind. Ah. <sighs> So, mm, let's see. I had so much fun doing that. I took more time than I planned on. Uh, let's just do uh, another chant here. I wonder if you could uh, open that up. And I'm going to invite you to scroll down to page 5.19. The Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi. Uh, 5.9. 5.9, sorry, 5.9. Not one. I can <clears throat> Okay. So, uh, this um, chant is it's very commonly used in, in Soto's and services. We don't chant it very often here, or we used to more often. But if you visit Soto's and temples, it's very common. It's associated with Dongshan, who is, um, you know, one of the founders of the, of the it's called the Kaodong or Soto school. And uh, it may be a little bit opaque, but that's okay. Um, when chanting these texts, you can just let them flow over you. 
Um, and if something is compelling, you can let it be compelling. And if something's mystifying, you can enjoy mystification. And um, I will say that this song is about thusness. So thusness is how things are. They're thus. It sounds fancy, but it means just like things are like this. That's the other translation that we say thus when we come from the Sanskrit. We say like this when you come from the Chinese. It's like this. But this is the funny thing is we say it's not this. We say it's like this. Because the this that we think is a this is mostly our ideas about whatever thusness is. The, the, the moment is much more mysterious than I usually think it is. Like, do you understand what's going on in the heads of all the other people in this room? Never going to happen. <laughs> what about all the like people in this city beyond us? What about, what's that tree doing out there? Just within this momentary field of experience, utter mystery beyond comprehension. And yet I go through life being like, I gotta do this, this is what matters. Wow. So this is about thusness, which is uh, this, beyond our ideas of it, but not excluding them, because then it wouldn't be this. Okay, so I just invite you to chant this together with me. Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, the Dharma of the Sisyphus is transmitted by the Buddha's ancestors. Now you have it preserved well, a silver bowl filled with snow, a hair and hidden in the moon. Taken as similar, they are not the same. Their places are known. The meaning does not reside in the words, but a little moment brings it forth. Moved and you are trapped, missed and you fall into doubt and vacillation. Turning away and touching are both wrong, for it is like a massive fire. Just to portray it in literary form is to stain it with defilement. In darkest night it is perfectly clear. In the light of dawn it is hidden. It is a standard for all things. Its use removes all suffering. Although it is not constructed, it is not beyond words. Like facing a precious mirror, form and reflection behold each other. You are not it, but in truth it is you. Like a newborn child, it is fully endowed with five aspects. No going, no coming, no arising, no abiding. Baba is anything said or not. In the end, it says nothing, for the words are not yet right. In the illumination hexagram, apparent and 
You know, one, it does tend to focus the mind. Um, and uh, it's a way of getting the Dharma. So it's like the words of the Dharma just come out of your mouth. And then the words of the Dharma come out of your mouth. It's pretty simple. People go, how do you, how do you remember all this stuff? It's like, well, I chant it 15 minutes a day for 15 years. That's the only reason. There's lots of repetition. I chanted that text hundreds hundreds of times. And, uh, you know, the um, chant, you know, we can practice by finding this breath and letting the sound come from that. We can learn to use our voice in a way that's beautiful and powerful. You know, some people is like, I don't, I don't think I want to use my voice. I don't want to use my, I don't want to use my voice. <laughs> Demonstrating. You know, that's, and it can be deep in the body. Oh, what if someone's doing something harmful and we need to say something? Or there's a difficult conversation that we have to have to be able to say, I'm here saying this. My body can do this. Uh, or if you, yeah, in a group of people working together. Some people, it's kind of, they disappear into the tendency of a body that doesn't, naturally come forth. On the other hand, some of us, I won't name names, Ben, uh, <laughs> it's not so hard to talk. I could talk all day. If you just put people in front of me and said talk all day, I'd be very happy. <laughs> For me, that's one of the safest places I could be. No one, my, my embodied senses, no one can hurt me if everyone's looking at me. That's just not everyone's sense. So we have different ways. So for me, chanting is really good practice for listening. Like I already know how to make sound. Can I use the practice to expand my field of awareness, to deeply attune to where everyone else is, and make space for the whole range of sound to emerge? One of my favorite books is Bell Hooks' Feminist Theory, From Margin to Center. I never get tired of that, from the margin to the center. Who is in the margin? Who's in the center? I have sat in the center today, but I pledged to make room to get over to the side as well. And, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I wish we had singing. We have singing. We've got singing up in this place. It's good. Come in and sing. You got to come at 7 in the morning. <laughs> or for this Dharma talk. Or for a session. We end the day singing the refuges on session. At the end of the day, we chant the refuges together. I take refuge in the Buddha. Take refuge in the Dharma. <clears throat> Take refuge in the Sangha. All right, thank you. <clears throat> this 
is a good time for other voices. So, uh, yeah, welcome. Uh, reflections, questions. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, if we wanted to start the, uh, the practice, can we couldn't be? Is there like a website or someplace that you know we could uh, go to? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center chant book is on the mnzencenter.org website under the resources tab. Tab, if you click resources, then you go down and find chants, and then down there is this thing that says click here to download the chant book. And all the chants we chanted today are there, and uh, yeah. But is there somewhere somewhere where um, somebody's chanting so we could follow? So oh, we could get the rhythm or. Mm. Not well. We do have a recording of the ancestor chants. That's uh, Rosemary and I chanting the uh, the traditional lineage and the women ancestor <coughs> chants. Other than that, we don't have recordings of them, and I don't know who does. Um, but you know, Saturday morning. That's 10 a.m. Come on, you can be up at 10. So uh, yeah, join in. Go ahead, Kate. T. Um, thank you for the, for this talk. Um, talking about how how to use your body is really helpful, and like the tones, that's always confused me. So that was really helpful. I think it's also helpful to talk about having the courage to be heard. That's mm. something I've really had to work on. And I notice that people here often, when they ask questions, they like ask really quietly, and nobody can hear them. So I, I sometimes I wish we could, you know, have a little instruction on projecting your voice and being heard and having the courage to to be heard. Well, thank you for giving that <laughs> teaching. <laughs> Uh, over here, yeah, in a minute I'll come back. You know, if you're online, it might make sense to use the hand raise function. That will help me to find you. Um, but you can also just chime in. But yeah, go ahead. I, uh, thank you so much, because I, I think one of the questions that I had asked, uh, I was kite out because I was chanting the heart suture. I was like, how do you do that without like taking a breath? I just couldn't like, understand. Like, well, you just, you sort of explained it like me, but you, I think you explained it pretty good. Um, and, uh, you know, I started chanting at home and I actually bought a wooden fish. And I told my partner, it's like, this might be strange. But I'd like to do this. Um, and I really enjoy chanting. I really do. It makes my heart feel good. I don't know if that's because I come from a Catholic background and I like sort of those sounds and things and incense and stuff. But I really like it. I feel like it's a wonderful way to internalize things for me. Um, and and I, I believe that the gentleman who spoke first, um, because I really like the Heart Sutra and I really want to learn how to go through it and do it, um, there's great resources on YouTube. Um, there's people you just put in the Heart Sutra and it will like come up. And I'm sure any of the other ones are there, I know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a wonderful thing and thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to respond to the, it may be a little strange, you know, so I don't, there may be people who are like, this has been weird. Uh, I just, I reflect on when I, I helped, uh, I wrote an article about Tomoe Katagiri, the sewing teacher here, one of our founders, uh, for a magazine, and we had a photo shoot. 
And Tomoe really, really wanted the photo to be of her with her rakusu on her head doing the, the robe chant. And have you ever looked at someone with a rakusu on their head? <laughs> the photographer just like, yep, I'm getting the pictures. And Tomoe just like, so, this is so beautiful to me. I mean, Dogen talks about weeping when he saw this done. Ah, oh, I'm a devotee of the robe, that's why. I sew it, this ritual is so meaningful, it's above me, I'm just, ah, that photo is not in the magazine. <laughs> so, ritual is, is funny that way, you know, it can be, from the outside it looks, can look so strange, and from the inside it can be so meaningful. Anyone uh, online want to say anything? Well, any, anyone. Yeah, go ahead. So I, I felt when we do the chanting together in here that um, it starts to feel in me like, like a cosmic truth is coming through. Like by all of us coming together, like the voice in sync, it's like, this is really true, we're all saying it, and it's like it's carrying it forward in time. I don't know if that's something that's, that's kind of like maybe one of the points, or... <clears throat> yeah, well, it's interesting. It does feel, you know, big collective voices makes things feel real meaningful. I mean, just ask Taylor Swift, <coughs> you know, really. I mean, this using the voice to create pitch and rhythm is really meaningful to human beings and has been for a long time. Um, I'm just, I'm a little scared of saying we're saying what's true. You know, we're uh, saying words that point us to the truth that this moment is beyond anything we can grasp. And there's nothing we can hold, gain, control. And liberation is knowing that so that we can be free in this moment to act. For everyone. <clears throat> so, yeah. That's what thus this is about. So, yeah, maybe true. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> I'm kind of amazed that no one has asked about Baba Wawa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever chanted that sutra or, or that, that poem where someone is saying, what's Baba Wawa? So you all know. It means it's the sound of a baby. It just means goo goo gaga. The question is, when a baby says goo goo gaga, does it have meaning? Okay, go ahead. I was going to ask that question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, how about Barbara first? That's how my little sister used to say my name. Oh! <laughs> then it meant something. <laughs> Baba. Look out, it would be Baba to all of us pretty soon. Baba, <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Um, I think what I like about chanting is that so often when you're at the Zen Center, uh, you feel like you're part of an audience and you're kind of watching or receiving. And when you chant, you're a participant, and you're actually inviting the... I can't put a word to it, but 
You're embodying that. So you're taking it in, and your body is expressing it. And you go from being an observer to being a participant. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So true. And as I move to close, I would say that, you know, our practices here are about really realizing we're always both. So they're going to feel more like one or the other, which is important. Um, but when we're practicing zazen, are we an observer or are we a participant? And when I'm chanting, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm chanting. And I feel my chanting. And that may actually be the best thing for me to do. That's kind of what I was saying for people who need to reinforce the voice. It's like, oh, think of it that way. For those of us who's like, I, I'm fine talking and expressing myself, then, ah, maybe way into the observer side. Um, but actually, the harmony of activity and perception is central to the whole idea of what our practice is about. So seeing that they are different, and also perceiving is an activity that creates what's perceived. What we do always matters. The way we look at the world plants seeds that creates the world we're going to live in. And uh, what we do when we move with the body or use our voice plant seeds that will create the world that we're living in. So, and of course all of it comes from unimaginably mysterious, amazing conditions. So, I don't know. Very grateful that the conditions have produced this situation where I'm here with you all right now. And uh, I thank you all, and I'll turn it over to our Dawn for some announcements. <laughs>